See, this is why we do explicit. So we have the freedom to, to say something mouth. about dog balls coming down from the microphone. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like dog Looks, balls? That sticks out like dog balls. Come on. <laughs> Anybody can see that. Does? Neuter. Neuter. Okay, Ted, you ready for it? Kristen, what kind of pistol did you use in the academy? Uh, six Sauer. Six Sauer. Uh, P226. P226. Oh, two, two, eight. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay. So right, let me practice. You know, that's a big thing, Ted. Okay. <laughs> Are you hearing that? Oh, that was preview. It, that I, was preview. I don't have her. Nope. You don't have, hold on. I was doing this stupid thing again. So it says Sylvia's internet is weak. <laughs> there you go. All this gun talk. I can't picture Some... what you're talking about. I got to say, you got to be a little careful with the siren. Okay. So for people like Kristen and I, it's almost like foreplay, maybe. <laughs> well, I'll do it and get out. For you old married <laughs> I'll do it. I'll drop the camera. For you married people, it's like. And then you guys do whatever has yeah, to happen you next. Ready? <laughs> what kind of foreplay includes sirens? Now, maybe if you would have had like handcuffs. But I want to know what kind of foreplay oh, involves sirens. The hollow buddy. Greetings and salutations, as the fine Kristen Zeman says. I'm Sylvia Moyer, and that's my co-host, Kristen Zeman. Welcome to the Hollow Bunny Podcast. Hi, everybody. The Hollow Bunny Podcast, where we give you little bites, little chunks of leadership, sometimes that lack substance, sometimes that don't. So today, we do not have a guest. Uh, you are going to listen to Syl and I just dish about a topic that is very important to both of us. Uh, as some of you know, who've listened to the podcast, we are, we've been in policing for over 30 years, uh, both of us individually. And one of the things people ask all the time is why aren't there more females in law enforcement? Do you get that a lot, Syl? I do. And you know, what's so interesting is the hollow bunny is not just in policing. Hollow bunny is uh, we see them everywhere. The empty suits. These are folks across industry and in leadership positions. Kristen and I are going to bring our perspective as academics, as practitioners in policing. And today we are going to talk about this whole, why aren't there more women in policing? We may just take a bite and give you something to chew on. So I get that a lot, Kristen. And, and folks say, hey, Chief Zeman, you're an incredible role model. She's basically a badass. She's an assassin of uh, a lot of things. She is uh, remarkable and influential. And they say, well, how, how could you have risen to where you were? How, Sylvia, could you have risen to where you are? And how can we get more women generally or broadly in policing? And we have a lot of things to talk about with that. And why is policing appealing to women? Where is policing not appealing? But we're going to dive in. And this came from, Kristen, not just one person. It comes from a lot of people. Yeah. And you know what I love about how this conversation started is that I got a DM on Twitter from a chief in Washington a DM. State. 
a DM uh, for those uh, for those not in the know. Uh, that's a direct message on Twitter mm. uh, in the Twitterverse. And it was so great. It's a male chief from Washington State. And he asked the question, uh, why aren't there more females in policing? And tell me what I can do. So this, this chief, brand new chief, he's been there for six months. And one of the first questions is, how do I bring more women into my organization? And yeah. how do I get more women into leadership roles? Now, I want to underscore the importance of that question. That came from a male chief. And to me, that's half the battle right there is any chief who is cognizant of a lack of women in our profession, in his police force, a lack of leadership. That starts the conversation right there because he's conscious of it, right? Now, Kristen Zeman, here's something super cool. So it's why aren't there more? And what do we do about it? And why does it matter? And here's something you just said. Now, you are an only child. You don't have brothers. I have brothers, Kristen Zeman. So what you just said is that's half the battle. Now, those of you that want to throw back, remember the old G.I. Joe cartoon? And at the end of the G.I. Joe cartoon that I painfully had to watch with my brothers on Saturday, G.I. Joe gave a lesson. And he said, now you know, and knowing is half the battle right? So you just gave a super connection to G.I. Joe, to, you know, all the male listeners, the millions of male listeners that we have. That was really appealing. So let's answer, answer the question. So was that, was that appealing (laughs) to you, Ted? That literally did not register anything with me. I just, oh yeah. Look. Yeah. And then it was like the, and knowing it's half the battle, G.I. Joe. (laughs) Yes, Ted. Ted, I had brothers too, and I'm a stop, brother. Stop, drop, and roll. I learned stop, <laughs> drop, and roll. Now you know, and that's knowing is half the battle. G.I. That's Joe. it. Oh my God. Oh, Next thing you guys are going to start talking about sporty ball. Oh, kids, you kids. Ted, let's do all G.I. Joe, all sports, and watch just Kristen go like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, we can talk a lot of sporty ball. We can. Yeah. And then she'll talk about their outfits. Oh, costumes. (laughs) Costumes, Costumes, I love that. So, so Kristen, this chief reached out to you, right? And he said, okay, so I want to know more. Women make up only 12% of policing across this nation and only 3% of the leadership positions are held by women. So, what Less do you than say to that? Right. So let's let's go back a little. We had our I think the first female chief in history was Penny Harrington of Portland. And that did not happen until 1985. And then there were some females in succession. We had Beverly Harvard in Atlanta, Kathleen O'Toole. Lucy Carlton. Where was she Catherine, from? Ca- from California. Lucy Carlton. Okay. And where was Kathleen okay. O'Toole? Kathleen O'Toole started in 1994 in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and she went on to Boston, then she went on to Seattle. She is a total badass, and and yeah, I, I kind of worship her. So just <laughs> we are both fangirls. Yeah, yeah, totally. Fan Heather fan Fong, too. San Francisco. So those were in between 1985, 2000. So since then, more yeah. females have absolutely reached the the CEO position of mm-hmm. leadership in in law enforcement. But 
here's the thing uh, across since they started so organizations like the IACP uh, that's the International Chiefs Association organizations like PERF uh, the police executive research forum have been doing this research but the entire time that they've been collecting data there's only mm-hmm. been it, less than 12% we've never peaked well we've peaked at 12% of women in our profession and never gone beyond that do you have a hypothesis about that i, I I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, I, why? I, perhaps because it's still a, a masculine-oriented field that the stories we tell don't resonate with women. I think there's a lot to support that women offer something very different in terms of police service. And there, there's a lot of research that says that there's there's some unique advantages to women in policing. Uh, higher connectivity, more robust connectivity and genuine connectivity with victims quite often. Um, Some say that women are often perceived as more trustworthy in diverse communities. But, you know, I got to say that there's there's some argument that these are feminine traits. Now, I'm going to ask for a little liberty here. There's the masculine and feminine, and that doesn't mean the gender reference of men and women. That means the traits of the mas- commonly masculine traits, the common common feminine traits. There, the Athena Doctrine was an incredible book that talked about the the behaviors of uh, leaders and what society and what workers want in terms of their leaders. And they asked for those traits to be chronicled. And when they were chronicled and laid out in a masculine domain or a feminine domain, there are a number of those traits that workers want, they they desire in terms of a leadership exercise. And many of those are exercised under the feminine domain. Does that mean all only women? No, but there is some argument that women typically have a lot of those traits and they exercise those traits, those behaviors, and that it resonates with people differently. Okay, so, so you back asked. Up. All right, so you need to explain this to me like I'm five. Okay, so the Athena doctrine <laughs> is so okay. So the way that I hear or I've interpreted that is soft skills, right? Is like soft skills of communication, mm-hmm. of empathy. Sure. Would you say that those are because soft skills, by the way, are everything but? I, I mean, they they get a there's a bad connotation, they're a negative connotation yeah. that these are soft skills. But I also will will tell you, and I'm sure that this has been true to you as well in your career, is I have also seen men and uh, that yep. amazing communicators, and they are the ones I've yep. emulated throughout my career. And so there's a little bit of a juxtaposition here because I I, I sure. had some females in my department that I almost felt like they were over the top in the way that they talk to people and it wasn't compassionate. So I don't even know if we can apply these gender rules. So <laughs> sure. You, you know, it's a you, think? you just showed up there. What do you oh, that's, here comes that's the, uh, yeah, I turn on the camera and that's the, uh, Hey, can I talk the, uh, yeah. you know, I'm in the education field and one of my colleagues was doing a doctoral study and her number was 82% of all teachers in the country are white women. Um, you know, cause she, hers had something to do with race as well, but you talk about soft skills, you talk about, uh, gender roles, 
And as you're talking about these things, I mean, I'm curious, you think about the government, you think about Congress, you think about representatives, you think um, how many women are there and how many men are there? I mean, wherever we think we are, we're not there yet, right? Yeah. 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 You know, what's that's, interesting that's is point. you brought up something super interesting, uh, both Ted and Chris. I mean, Ted, not only is he easy on the eyes, he's an insightful dude. Uh, so it's not just the traits when when categorized as masculine or feminine doesn't mean man or woman. Now, there are going to be people that are going to listen to this that are going to just they're professionals, right? They've studied this. They are experts in this. I think what we're saying as lay people is it's not just about a man or a woman. It's about the traits that are commonly associated in the masculine domain, commonly associated in the feminine domain. There is a real necessity, and I want to really be clear about this. There's a real necessity for us to say that we need to also give societal and, and professional permission to men who demonstrate these traits that are more in the feminine domain without emasculating them or condemning them, right? Um, you know, Kristen, you, we, talk, we started talking about this and why aren't women choosing policing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think some of it is the rigors of the work. Some of it are, is that they cannot envision themselves in that role. Some, it's reported to us as executives that the organizational culture is not as welcoming or that there's a real difficulty for women to not only have a family, but also to serve in this really tough profession. Because, I mean, we work some crazy hours, right, Chief? Yeah, I think you're onto something there. I think there's a couple of things that you hit on. So, you know, as a little girl, I one of the reasons I wanted to become a police officer is well, my father was a police officer, and interestingly enough, it wasn't it wasn't him uh, that was the first time I yeah. decided I wanted to be a police officer. It was this we had uh, in in this department. This is the city I grew up in, and eventually became a cop there. And there was a woman in the seventies that drove around in a squad car, and I remember the first time I saw her, and I I my my mind was blown, and I was like who is that? I asked my dad and he said, you know, that's uh, officer Karen Crass. And, you know, and she was in the, this, this, I was a little girl. So this is the seventies. This is like 1979. Right. And so um, I remember seeing her. And so I, I point that out because that visibility matters. And she was only one of a few on the department at that time. But I think that, so when women don't see themselves reflected in this role, then they don't think they can be this, you know, a police officer. Second is, is like what you said, this is also a, a profession where, you know, you work three to 11 shift with Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. And, (laughs) you know, that's when you're low seniority. It is. It's terrible. And, you know, and I mean, I've worked midnight shift and, you know, and that was for the first 10 years of my career because you know, we pick by seniority. So that's not very enticing. And see, yeah. there's another interesting gender role though, right? So that's like, of course, men are caregivers for children, but uh, women arguably are, are play that role even more so in a household. And so those hours 
are not conducive to you know having a family and a work life balance. So yeah. I think and then let's even talk about recruiting, right? So, you know, the recruitment videos of at least of yesteryear of when in the 90s when I came on, it was literally like camo and war paint Big men, and small shirts. Yeah. Yes, like yeah, Swatch- with you know tapered watchologist. <laughs> It's like, dude, don't totally. you know that shirt comes in men's sizes, not just boys? Yeah. I call that size schmedium. Uh, Sh- and so, yeah, <laughs> tight, tight <laughs> uniforms. And, and like, we really don't identify with that. I mean, God, I'm five foot four, you know, 125 pounds. And, and it's like, I don't fit that. that You're that twisted steel and sex appeal. Quit it. Yeah. I mean, it's all muscle, whatevs. But so I don't know. I think that's so that's that speaks to then why women don't gravitate towards the profession. But Maybe. there is the whole other question of why women then don't pursue rank and leadership positions once they're in a police organization. You know, what's your what's your take on that? So a, a lot of times women are reporting back to me that they just they don't feel ready. And then research has informed that that women tend to judge their readiness differently than men. And I think there's a real lesson for us to take from our male colleagues. And this is what I have uh, read and studied in terms of the research informing this. So women, if there's 50 things that a woman has to do to demonstrate that they're ready to put in for a promotion, women will typically do how many, Kristen? Out of oh 50? my God, 104, 104. <laughs> You're an overachiever. I'd do maybe 54. Uh, so, but you do more than it than is expected. And our male counterparts, they're courageous. They're like, girl, I've done 26 and I'm totally fine with that because my cred will, uh, and my attitude and my experience will make up for the others that I didn't do. And I was about to do math and say 24, but that would be math and um, public schools and I don't do math. Um, so, so our men do this. Women say there's 50, they'll do 54. Men will say, gosh, I got 20, I got 25. I'll do the other 25 will be made up somewhere else. They're just going to love me. Can I just pause right there? Because you just hit it on the head. I was a sergeant and I was five years as a sergeant and I was, uh, I had actually, so here's another, uh, another little nugget to fill uh, your, your bunny with some substance is that it were, they were male mentors. I had a Lieutenant that looked at me and said, you should take the Lieutenant's test. And I literally looked behind me because I wasn't sure if he was actually talking to me, Who? but that was a, a man that said, I think that you've got yeah. you know, a lot of talent. So I, I kind of, I, I took that and I thought, oh my God, that's crazy. So then I started polling the other guys at all. So out of 40 okay. surgeons, I started polling okay. them. I was like, are you, are you taking the lieutenant's test? Are you taking the, and every single yeah. one of them said, yeah, I'm totally taking the lieutenant's test. And some of them couldn't even speak in complete sentences and they were <laughs> so confident in their ability. And, and here was me 
oh man, okay, I got, I just finished my master's degree. I, you know, now I need to go to the FBI Academy. I need to, you know, apply for the, the Harvard, you know, three week program. I need, I mean, I was, when I tell you 104 check boxes, I am not even kidding. And I remember thinking these dudes, yeah, have barely checked I mean, yeah. some of them. A lot of them were very competent, but in my mind, I wasn't ready until I did all of the things. So that's, that is such a, that's a real thing that I think happens because we have to prove ourselves or we think, sometimes I think that we can't get out of our own way though. Yeah. It's the men in, in these male dominated professions, they are the gatekeepers and they are the ones who can change everything. And so it's these progressive minded, compassionate men that understand diversity of thought that that matters diversity of thought and gender and all of the cultural diversity, but it's, these are the game changers. These are the ones who are going to change a profession. And I, I think that we need to shine the light right there momentarily. I'm sure you've had some great male mentors. No doubt. We need mentors in our organizations and outside of our organizations, men, women, different inputs. Right. Uh, so there's a couple things there that are super interesting that you said big leadership lesson, Put in for the promotion, do the hard work, demonstrate your value, contribute, do not get stuck by saying, well, there's 50 things and I've only done 49. Come on, let's learn something from our male brethren that that we have a lot to contribute. Let's also recognize that uh, for a lot of us, we approach things differently. It's not good or bad, it's just different. We invite different people to the table. Remember when we talked about this, Kristen, about save a seat for a sister. I, I believe we bring a leaf. You know, my mama had the leaf. You know, we kept it in the closet in the nice little wrapping. And then on holidays, we'd open the table and put in the leaf. Put a leaf in. Bring more people to the table. And some of that is inviting different actors to the table, different people to the table. What we're not talking about is we're not talking about the incredible professional staff, right? That really lift up an organization. So I think we need to look differently at who is invited to the table. We need folks, women to say, look, I want a seat at the table with a different kind of influence. And I'm going to lean in, learn from my male counterparts and pursue a promotion when I maybe don't think I'm totally ready in terms of this 50 checklist, like we're demonstrating or talking yeah. about. Another thing, I, I think you're right. You know, yeah. And you know what, Kristen, uh, you're right about mentors. Uh, there's also a real leadership opportunity to say, get diverse assignments, seek diverse assignments. Most people that find themselves worthy of promotion have demonstrated a, a broad understanding of policing. What do you think about that piece? Oh, I love that. And I think there's an important piece here uh, to fill the bunny and that you are responsible for your own career. And yeah. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times I, I put in for, let's say conferences or classes to better myself and they were denied. And a great example of this was um, I was a brand new sergeant and I put in to attend the National Association of Women 
Law Enforcement Executives Conference, NOLI. And I was denied okay. because as a sergeant, they didn't consider me an executive. So I, and then funny, you're going to love this. Uh, one of my fellow sergeants said, so what do you guys do at a female conference? Do you guys have pillow fights? No joke. That was actually <laughs> stated in the Dude, office. Dude, we need to do and that. Why don't we have pillow I fights? Didn't, don't pretend what? like we don't, Sylvia Moyer. Don't even <laughs> pretend. That's exactly what we do. We freeze each other's bras and we, we have pillow fights. But anyway, nice. so I was denied to go to that conference. Yeah. And so what I did is I applied for a scholarship and uh, through the conference, through Nolly, and I was, I was granted that scholarship. So it's like, you know, when, when people say no, you know, say, thank you very much. And then go around the roadblock and figure out a way to get it done. Put, I, I, there were several training classes that I put in for and, mm. and flip the bill myself. So, because I yep. wanted to build my resume and again, I don't know, there's a part of me that wonders if I did that to myself and because no one told me to do all that, but I just felt like I had to check all those boxes, but yeah. I don't know. I think that, that maybe that's just an individual thing and that, you know, I'm, yep crazy and ambitious to a fault. Maybe. I don't know. It's not a fault. It certainly did. Uh, come on, Kristen. I, and here's the thing is I, my path was similar that I put myself through a lot of classes because I wanted to be really good at the stuff nobody else wanted to do. Who wants to take a mm -hmm. collision? Nobody who wants to, not many cops who, so I really wanted to be good at that. I really wanted to be good at things that other people didn't want to do. I accepted assignments that other folks didn't think were cool. I could tell you, what did somebody say? You know what? If you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. Just take a big old bite, eat it and move on. Right. <laughs> totally. And so yeah. you, you, you seek the, I sought the assignments that other people didn't want and they changed the trajectory of my career. It was really, really interesting. Um, and equally, uh, getting promoted, and I got to select where I was going to work. Did you guys do this where in Aurora, where the chief said, "Okay, I'm promoting you to sergeant. Here are the here are the spots that are available. Where do you want to go?" Well, no. when they did that to me, I said, "I want to go to graveyard patrol," and they said, "Wait yeah. a minute, what? You could go to all these other places." Uh, in strategic planning, in planning and fiscal, in these other kind of hiring and recruiting jobs, I chose Graveyard Patrol because I wanted to earn my jobs. I wanted mm -hmm. to go out and with the men and women on Graveyard Patrol where I had to really understand leadership and service and safeguarding people in a different way. And I have to say, I chose it because I didn't want to be a woman working an assignment that was anything different than the men would work. Now, I'm no not kidding. sure the message that that sends. What do you think? What do you think about that? Was I an idiot? So, no, that's that's interesting. No, I love that because that's a great challenge. I had a very different path. So, almost the opposite of yours. So, I went kicking and screaming to assignments because I was placed there. But I think there's also another leadership lesson here, and that. Um, as a patrol officer, I was actually plucked from a place that I did choose, which was community-oriented policing. And a lieutenant was standing up a brand new 
domestic violence unit. And he tapped me and, and asked me to build it from the ground up. And I did not want to do it though. I loved my job. I mean, I was doing really cool things in the, in the assignment that I was in, we were doing undercover stuff. I was just having so much fun out on the street and then being plucked into what I consider this administrative assignment actually kind of pissed me off. And then I wrote general orders. We went and visited other sites, police departments that had launched this. And now that I look back, I recognize what a, what a gift that Lieutenant gave me by forcing me to do it. Also, I didn't, I, I, I'm a good follower. So I just said, yes, Lieutenant, I'll do whatever you need. Um, but I was, like I said, I internally, I haven't found that with you. I should, I should preface that. Yeah. I'm a little (laughs) defiant, but when I look back, I think he prepared me for that admin, the the piece that now, as I moved up through the ranks, what a gift. I wrote policy, developed a unit. Uh, I don't know. So Ted is a token man in this conversation. What's your take on that? He's not a token. He is a legitimate partner. Thank you. (laughs) Kristen, I wanted to ask you about this because you were doing something you loved, got plucked to do something else and it was good for you. But then when you were sergeant, and this is in your book, and I will do the shameless plugs because you won't. It's Reimagining Blue by Kristen Zeman. But in that book. Me, the published author? (laughs) That's right. I do mean you. But you were talking about this, right? Were you a sergeant at the time? And you decided it was the overnight shift. And you decided I'm going to put officers where they want to go. And they were more productive as opposed to the way it had been done where everybody's got to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. That was was me to Sylvia's point, she knows my defiant streak. I was actually a brand new Lieutenant and I was the highest ranking person on the midnight shift. And I had this idea that why do we keep doing, you know, we, we, we task everyone with doing a little bit of everything and we relied heavily on a point system, not a quota, not a quota, but a point system. So officers got credit for things like making arrests, but I started to wonder what if we allowed officers to do uh, the thing that they were skilled and talented and they liked to do. And people looked at me as though I had three eyeballs, you know, and so we tested it out. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, when people do what they like to do, are the shifts numbers went up like 300%. But see, now that is I don't know, though, is that I don't know if that's a gender thing. That's me just being a defiant little brat trying to do something a little different. So I'm not sure that fits in maybe a a gender role. I don't know. I think I found that that women, because we've been kind of outliers in thought and approach and demonstration of leadership for so long, we're comfortable doing things differently. There are a lot of men that are, too, but I think women have have reported that, geez, I've just spoken differently and behaved differently for so long, I don't know any better. So you might be defiant, you may just be a girl. I'm not really sure. But I could say that with, go ahead. No, so so let's switch gears here a a little bit because I I wanna really try to, to hit at least on some of the points of women in leadership. And I don't know about you, but I can give a few examples. One of them breaks my heart is I had a female officer um, in my office and 
she, <laughs> this is, this was a lateral promotion. We hadn't had many females uh, in the gang unit. It's typically, you know, kind of a hyper-masculine, you know, unit. And she was interested in going to the gang unit and was actually chosen. And she came into my office and she said, I'm going to need to turn that, that assignment down. And I said, oh my gosh, oh. why? So our gang guys ride two man, uh, in this case, it would be two man, well, man, two officers. Um, and, two officer. Mm -hmm. And she said that her fiance did not want her riding to officer with another guy. Barrier. Okay. Barrier. I, okay. This, I, I literally, and of course, you know, I was trying to be so tender and I just said, wait, you are turning down a position at, 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 you know, in, in something that you want to do because you have a fiance and I, I want to really highlight this because I read in Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, she says the most important business decision that you can make in your career is who you choose as a partner. And I remember reading that many years later and thinking that poor girl turned down a position because she had a jealous fiance. And that just was really sad to me. Um, I don't know how that translates like into, you know, promoting up, but I also have had several female officers say, Hey, I don't want to go back to midnight shift when I've got, you know, an eight year old, a 10 year old, and I want to be home yeah. when they get off work. So I think there is a lot of the work-life balance that really keeps women from an ascension in a PD. What are your thoughts? Sure. Yeah. I was going to circle back to that because that's very real. It is now most police departments, one gets promoted and you go back to the bottom of the seniority list. You go to graveyard with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, as Kristen talked about, or you go somewhere that is not conducive to the family. And I think a lot of folks um, in that have families, whether it's a traditional, uh, whatever the composition of one's family is, and it could be caring for aging parents or disabled. I have a friend that was caring for a disabled sibling. Uh, they just like everyone else, we have to make choices about our career, our life broadly. And a lot of women report that they have just achieved a position where they have more control over their schedule um, and that it's a barrier to go to the bottom of a seniority list. I think it's a really, it's a profound opportunity for you and I to speak to this, to just kind of put little, little, I don't know, nuts or little bits, little bites into the bunny. So how would we capture this in terms of like women in policing? Um, when you answer that chief of police from Washington, his DM, super hip, by yeah. the way, we know that women have been reported to have higher outcomes in terms of trust in diverse communities. Women in policing have been demonstrated to use less force uh, less claims of excessive force, and some of the other things that really do erode uh, trust and trustworthiness uh, in police and mm -hmm. community relations. How, what else did you answer for him? Let's let's fill this knee in with some meaty stuff. So you and I were part of the perf, um, you know, research that was done in female and females in policing, and so out of uh, 500 respondents to surveys, 
basically what was found, and I, I, I believe this tracks, at least from what I believe the hypothesis to be, is that um, women in policing, they cite, it was actually over 50% cited that the ability to achieve work-life balance. So that was the most important thing to them. So that explains a lot of why there aren't as many women in policing and pursuing leadership roles. The other uh, almost 50% is to, and this is where I would say we have um, the most amount of control, having a supportive agency culture. So this male chief merely asking the question, how do I get more women in my department tells me that the culture of that organization is one that is extremely open and welcoming to women. And I think that's really where we begin. And and not only that, but then having mentors uh, within agencies, whether that be male or female. I mean, I don't think that really matters, right? I mean, in my career, I've had mentors and tormentors, but, uh, but what I would, would say is, is the culture. And I don't know, that seems so abstract is, you know, create a culture. It's like culture is, is like, is like morale is like this thing that we can't see, but we can feel it. You know, we know if it's a positive culture or negative culture, but I think the way that police officers or that organizations can do that is in recruitment videos, what, you know, do you have females in your recruitment videos? And you sure. know, just like me, that little girl in the seventies, seeing that police officer can females, you know, aspiring to become just that see, do they see themselves and are they represented? And so I yeah. think that's a great place to start is setting the culture of an organization. And we all know that culture really is set from the CEO of any organization. Right. So as we kind of button up this little conversation in the Hollow Bunny podcast, we also, so Kristen pointed to the Police Executive Research Forum, PERF, an extraordinary organization uh, that advances policing. We could also point to the 30 by 30 initiative, 30x30, that really talks about advancing women in policing. It's tons of resources by an extraordinary group of people that are doing research uh, to inform why it makes sense to have 30% women in recruit classes by 2030. There's a lot of substance there. So for those folks that have hung in there in this conversation that want to know more, there are two resources. Are there others that you know about, Kristen? No, that's the biggest one. And I, I think that really deserves to be underlined, bolded, is that increasing the number of women in police leadership begins with increasing the number of women in policing overall. How do you promote women in organization when they're yeah. not there? Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is not about changing standards. It's not. Mm-hmm. There's some some folks would say, oh, so this means you want to achieve a certain number, so you're going to reduce the standards. No, what it says no is that there's an intention and there are some outputs and perhaps outcomes for not only policing, but uh, for trust, for how communities view the police, for how policing advances in our society. In this time that we're really being called to, to examine policing and be fair and impartial, giving voice, being transparent under this procedural justice, a number of initiatives and increasing trust. Uh, maybe it's one of the many answers. So 
it's it's really speaking to um, this question of why does it make sense to advance women in policing and what might it mean for women, for the profession of policing, and for society broadly about how the police and communities interact. I just don't, I don't think it's a, a small endeavor. It definitely challenges executives across the policing function to examine why. Here's what, so what, now what? Uh, here's where yeah. we are. So what? Uh, it makes a difference in terms of trust and use of force. And now what? There are PERF and the 30 by 30 initiative. These are places you can start to dive in and then, you know, make it make it an intention. And, you know, it's a big, big deal. And then women that are in the profession to connect with mentors in their department, outside of the department, men and women. These are all things that are really important, Kristen. Absolutely. And I just want to give a shout out to all the great male mentors that I've had throughout my career, because there is no doubt that, um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without them. And I think that it, as it bears repeating in a male dominated yep. profession, it is these Name fine men that have, yeah. well, gosh, I've don't I, there's we need like another hour podcast but i right. had a great captain named michael neela a lieutenant doug needham you know another lieutenant larry skaggs i have had such a my, and then okay. my former chief greg thomas so there's there's four that have been tremendous yeah. in, in my career hey. you know that have steve segura yeah steve segura my deputy chief who put me in places that I didn't want to go, but they were right for me. Scott Seaman and Chris Boyd, two police chiefs that that not only aided me, but really gave me a clear line of sight between where I was and where they saw me going. Kind of like that lieutenant who said, you, you know, the person said, you need to be uh, a lieutenant, Kristen Seaman. I mean, there are a lot mm -hmm. of people that have uh, lifted us up and yeah, showed us the advanced way and kicked us in the butt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So honestly, I think that's the takeaway is that, you know, the culture and this is this transcends policing as well, right, is that we should want diversity of thought when when because we are different. We it, it, let's be honest. I mean, we're women. We do think differently sometimes. And I think that's great as you bring in different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicity, different sexual orientation. I mean, just yeah. all of the things, you know, and that leads to what yeah. I think is the most important diversity, and that's diversity of thought. And that is what elevates an organization. So I think that our communities need uh, to be reflective. Our police yeah. departments need to be reflective of our community. And that's how we build trust. And, you know, I think that's the that fills that hollow bunny. Right. Tra Chad Kasmer, he's the police chief in Tucson, was recently saying, I was a fine arts major. What does a fine arts major do in policing? <laughs> and how does a fine arts major become a chief? And I think it makes total sense. Just that 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 thinking, the appreciation, the way he behaves, the his values are on full display for everybody. He's a remarkable guy. Uh, so yeah. sure, the diversity of thought and approach is really, really important. The core is that the men and women who choose policing want to safeguard people and insert humanity. That's the call, right? So what do you Absolutely. think, Kristen? This is, this is a big, big conversation between you and I. What do you think about the hollow bunny that's been uh, on full view for everybody? 
Yeah, I think we filled that hollow bunny and I think we put a nice little foil costume on him, <laughs> a, a bow tie. And, okay. you know, I would just say, hey, listen, it, if you are the hollow bunny, it, stop it. Don't be a hollow bunny. So, you know, you need some substance. And so, you know, you got a couple ideas on on how to do that. So I think that's how we wrap it up. And you know what? I will say that that's it for this episode of the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. and. <laughs> If you like what we do, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. And your hosts are myself, Kristen Zeman, and the beautiful Sylvia Moyer. And our executive producer is Ted Madden. And now I leave you with a song written by my son, Jake Zeman, and his very talented friends. Uh, they created the theme song for the Hollow Bunny podcast, and I give you them. Bye, everybody. When you look inside, what do you find? Are you content to fall behind when you Yeah.